Good evening. Just like Europe, the Premier League realizes that oil is here to rule. Chelsea continue to struggle with getting leads. Spurs beat a Portugal in friends 11 and Allen is definitely max and not min today. Welcome to the Toki Taka podcast. Good evening. On the panel today we have a returning RK. We have Radha ji. We have Ab who is seething and we have DSK. On tonight's episode, let's start with your top moment of the week. I'll go first because as the host it's my birthright and I need to take the easier option out. So I'll just go for the only good thing that's happened this weekend for me which was uh, Alan Sant Maximan taking on uh, the might of Manchester City by himself and uh, securing a point for his team which didn't help me in the draft but um, that's something i can live with because manchester united didn't play so far this week i was able to appreciate the little quirks <laughs> of the premier league so my favorite moment is zaha uh, and martinez uh, uh, like the penalty encounter between them where uh, martinez uh, you know saved the uh, first attempt zaha converts it and then he stares at martinez martinez gets angry that was my favorite moment of the week Yeah, I, th- I think there are a lot of uh, shithousery moments uh, going on this season. Um, my favorite one was, I think, uh, the Saliba goal. Uh, that was not not because of the goal; it was an outstanding goal, one of the, like the best finishes of the weekend. But as soon as he strikes strikes it and it goes in, Zinchenko just falls onto his feet with his head in his hands in sheer disbelief. Uh, and then I think Odegaard talked about it in the post match as well that they were in disbelief that something like that happened. I think there's a lot of camaraderie and good to see stuff happening at Arsenal. That was really funny. I saw when when Zinchenko went on the floor, I was laughing. And the chant, Saliba. Saliba, this is just the second senior goal he has ever scored, and Odegaard has not scored a, more than one goal a game in. since he was 15 or something so all weird things happening in a single game so i watched his first wolves game and spurs got absolutely battered in the first half without by a wolves team without a strikers and in the second half ivan perisic completely changed the game the entire spurs attack was down they left uh, he gave the flick on for the kane goal so for me that was a moment perisic uh, came in with a lot of hype uh, i have him both in the draft fantasy league and in the other league and in the normal fantasy league and yeah he delivered with the points a clean sheet and assists and the bonus points so for me that was a moment i'm going to go now i'm very tempted to say mitrovic but i'm going to say uh i won't say favorite moment i thought moment. you would say that <laughs> no um you know it's not a favorite moment by any stretch but uh, i think a very consequential moment this week was mendy doing or trying to do whatever he did that led to leeds's first goal and from there since he had no way of coming back i know we'll talk about that in some detail now but yeah i think that was a pretty consequential moment this weekend cool getting into the games uh, that happened uh, i think the most exciting game of all was um, newcastle city which has just completed and we just convened right after that uh, adrenaline is high and uh, fun times were had by everyone apart from defenders of the two teams uh, who wants to kick this one off pope probably gave them one point at the end uh, with his saves but newcastle did better than we expected them to yeah i think Uh, this is uh, like a season so far which is making us like religious <laughs> converting to christianity we are talking of people like jesus saint maxima pope and all i think this, this game was basically i think uh, outstanding performance by some of the newcastle players great tempo to the game probably the best game of the season so far 
I thought City, after the scoring their first goal, probably became a bit complacent, and uh, you know they were sitting on their toes a bit. I thought that uh, what we saw last game, where they were committing their fullbacks into midfield, uh, you know when they were losing the ball and they were not reacting as quickly as they usually do, that was le- leaving a lot of space where those fullbacks are supposed to be tracking back, and uh, Newcastle were really countering at speed and. City were in all sorts of trouble in the first half. Trippier scored a great goal and at that time, you knew that there was an inevitable you know, fight back coming. And then City started taking control, started really, you know, getting into the game, getting really sharp, doing what we are used to seeing from them. Some really great individual performances on both sides. I mean, I am not even surprised by what De Bruyne does anymore. What that, that threaded pass was just... Absolutely beautiful. But uh, for me, shout out to mainly two people, Nick Pope and uh, St. Maxima. Outstanding. Yeah, I mean, uh, it was just a great game. Okay, I think the second week in a row, we're talking about a great game to watch for neutrals. Um, Newcastle was just so much better than I expected. And they were actually better than City for a large part of the game as well. Um, they, they were dominating them at one point until they scored the third and then City just flipped a switch. And I was just, I was like groaning when they actually scored the third. Sometimes I feel like 2-1 is better than 3-1 against Man City. You don't want to tickle the dragon and wake them up. And yeah, just before I could finish celebrating the goal, they were already 3-3. Um, St. Maximin just really showed you um, what he what he can do. He was absolutely unplayable in that first half. When he's in this kind of mode, he's like the ideal uh, impact um, impact player. But I think again, like he does very often, he kind of tailed off in the second half as well. So he's a little unpredictable. Yeah, he's he's blowhard uh, look old. I think uh, there was a stat during the game that he's got more assists today than he had at St. James's Park during the entire previous season. Everyone calls him mercurial for a reason. So um, I mean, no no doubts there. Yeah. Whenever I think about him, I always think about the other guy who's not quite as, uh, like he doesn't deliver as much, Adama Traore. And I was just thinking all through this game, I wish one of these teams signed Adama Traore. So the Oil Classico will actually have a brand ambassador. That'll be fun. And Erling Haaland, the way that, you know, uh, like whenever he got into the game, he was really backing the game and he, he had a great shot, uh, you know, which was, uh, which was an equally good save for, uh, by Nick Pope. And the finish also was, uh, you know, is what you expect from that kind of, a, you know, uh, instinctive poacher, so to say. Like, he was just smelling the space. Uh, not a great goal for Newcastle, but great goal for Highland, and that's what he brings to the table. Yeah, uh, but interestingly, this was the first game that both of these teams finally conceded a goal. So, uh, more credit to Newcastle there compared to City. But yeah, uh, clean sheets finally breached for everyone. Um, there's still hope for all non-City supporters that uh, maybe there might still be some fight left in this league. Moving on, uh, Fulham-Brentford. I think I'm going to give the stage to a certain someone who's gambled big on uh, on a Fulham striker despite past history. Up 90th minute winner this must have felt sweet yeah yeah i honestly didn't expect it i know fulham went 2-0 up very quickly i think they scored their first goal within the first minute very scrappy goal and then brentford came back strong but you know with when you have a striker like mitrovic around you know there's always that you know you just need one chance right you need to float it into the box and a guy like that is always going to give you a chance so you know my fantasy team is doing well this weekend i believe i'm up against you unfortunately so uh, you know, can't uh, 
can't ask for more from Mitrovic. I think he's equaled the number of goals he scored the last time Fulham were in the Premier League. From now, it only, we only go upwards. Yeah, so he, he scored and it was just a dramatic moment sliding on the grass in the 90th minute. It was great and uh, love watching these ga- games at Craven Cottage. But he should have had three, maybe four goals in that game. And this is not the first time we've said this about Mitrovic. He maybe scores the toughest chance that he had. Uh, he's getting himself into great positions and you can always talk that up about how he'll always score goals if he gets himself into these positions. But in the EPL, somehow that conversion rate takes a hit when he comes up from the championship. Uh, he's now trending nine goals under XG in his career in the EPL. Uh, even the last time he actually scored in double digits, he was trending four or five goals below XG. Uh, I don't know, maybe quality of keeping, the pressure he puts on himself, but he has some demons or these may be the obvious arguments. But of course, Taki Taka knows better. It's not any of this. It's purely down to the voodoo that is Ab's draft karma. I think uh, Ab has taken care of Mitrovic's career. And talking of strikers, Ivan Tony is having a great start to the season, right? I think uh, two of his goals got ruled out uh, before he finally scored. So he's been another one in the news. And I don't know what to make of this match because United lost 4-0 to Brentford. Brentford won and lost 3-2 to uh, Fulham. I, I really don't know what to make of United. I, I don't think we can keep that chain going for much longer now. <laughs> I don't think we're honestly expecting Fulham to beat United. United are relegation fodder. Is that what you're trying to say? RK starting with your jinxes. Uh, think of this chain if uh, United beat Liverpool. Uh, United uh, beat Liverpool, yeah. It's Sunday night, we should have a couple of pegs here and sit and dream about it and because he'll probably cry. Uh, there, there are a lot of rumours linking Ivanjani uh, with some of the other bigger Premier League teams. They're a good fit as a option of the bench for both Chelsea and, and United. So, let's see what happens in the next nine days. Yeah, RK mentioned Tony and I, I, I don't know if you guys uh, saw that, but after both the disallowed goal and the actual goal he scored, he did the Mitrovic celebration. I don't know what that was about. There's some needle. I'm really loving this season so far. There's so much needle and, and banter happening between so many different teams. It's almost like somebody shooting a documentary. Hmm, let's see what uh, Amazon announced later this year but it was a lot of fun yeah I wonder who their club of um, club in focus this season is I think it's announced um, around uh, the middle of the season and somehow suddenly everything starts to make sense about what's happened in the first half of the season okay apart from uh, these two games we also had uh, Arsenal continuing on their merry way and um, they're the only team with 100% record now and uh, just wanted to give that uh, a bit of an air there. We've talked quite significantly about Arsenal. I mean, they're uh, a team who all of us have enjoyed watching this season. Uh, it's just one thing uh, on Arsenal and I have talked about them enough so I'm not going to go for too long. Martinelli is looking like a real elite talent all of a sudden. He was a rotation player maybe a few months ago. He's looking really good and the best thing about Arsenal, all the good stuff that's happening Saka is hardly part of it. That only bodes well for them because he was the standout player last season. If he gets firing on all cylinders, I think Arsenal are going to... Yeah, it seems like they finally have some sort of bench strength. Smithrow hasn't played yet. Uh, Fabio Vieira hasn't come into the side. The regular failings that we've seen with Arsenal, they don't seem to be present uh, this season. We never know. I mean, Arsenal always have, as upset, they always have the opportunity to ex- implode any second. But let's see how that goes. The Saka part is interesting. They seem to be lined up as a 4-2-3-1. Uh, but because of the way Zinjeko is carrying the ball, uh, it looks like uh, Zaka is being more reserved on the other side. So, more, more than a right forward, he's playing like somewhat of a right wing back. And probably that's why he's not at the end of chances. So, probably that's why. But 
for those interested in the fantasy leagues uh, look at the points granit shaka has been raking up so he has been uh, providing the chances to uh, a lot of the goals there so uh, that that's a interesting choice for a lot of you yeah, for me uh, again the main thing uh, i'll come back to arsenal about is in the second half they seem to be dropping the possession percentage a lot the dominance of uh, territory goes down a lot I don't know why that is happening. This game they were comfortably on top, so that is an excuse for this game. But three games in succession, that is something to watch out for. I still think there is a you know soft underbelly there. We need to see uh, when Arsenal play against tougher. Op- I, I am definitely not completely convinced about Arsenal, but it's it's a great place for them to be in. Uh, you know, from where they were a year back. Moving on to another London team, uh, Crystal Palace. Um... i think uh, impressed all of us last season and they've uh, they've they basically continued on in the same vein this season as well they're doing well they have uh, good talented players they have some relatively senior statement in uh, people like zaha and then they have uh, the likes of eze and olise i mean there there was a rumor that um, callum hudson odoi would potentially go on loan to crystal palace but uh, they basically refused it because There's, there's no place for him to start and he wherever he goes he would want to start so that speaks to the strength of uh, what crystal palace have built considering where they were at the start of the previous season when roy hodgson had just left and so many players were out of contract and i mean that's that's it's been a good interesting rebuild for the last year or so just just a shout out to zaha there i think last 19 premier league games he scored 11 or 13 goals so he's uh finally uh, like he had a lean patch where he wasn't really getting on the end of things not getting the stats uh, right while still being an important player but now he's again i think having a second wind kind of just one one thing i was just thinking about this while watching the palace game they're so good to watch i'm 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 so happy that we don't have those dire uh, hodson sam sam kind of teams uh, in the league this time palace were so good fulham were good to watch brentford are good to watch most of the games that you just play you turn the tv on are like really entertaining not finding a boring too many boring games this season yeah i mean probably speaks to the strength of the league then anyway that concludes part 1 in part 2 all of us take shelter as ab rants Welcome back. In part 2, we're starting off uh, with Leeds Chelsea. Tuchel must be wishing that he had basically taken the touchline ban for this game. Nothing good came out of it. Uh, we ended up with another center back out of uh, commission going by this uh, Ruben Loftus-Cheek is going to play at center back and wing back next week. Similar failings to what's happened in the past. Build chances, don't take chances, get punished. Ab, you've been quiet for a long time. I mean, I can see that rage building in your face yeah, for a long time now. Go for it. Yeah, you mentioned that uh, Tuchel should have probably taken the touchline ban. Right? I should have probably taken a TV ban and not watched this one because it was just like horrendous. Right? I as soon as I saw the match, I was like, man, I have so much to rant about on the pod, but at the same time, I didn't want to go on a random tangent. So I noted down three or four things that I thought I'll mention. uh first i think thomas tuchel got it wrong completely both from a shape and a team selection 
or a personal selection point of view. I know that Loftus-Cheek did well at wing-back against Spurs. But uh, in a game like this, with Kante missing, I think we needed Loftus-Cheek in midfield and to unlock James on that wing-back position. So that seemed like a blunder. Chelsea as such struggled to create a lot of chances. James is significantly the biggest outlet for Chelsea in terms of pushing forward. So I think not putting him there and having him as a third centre-back was just a trick missed today, uh, especially with Aspilicueta being available on the bench. Right? Now that's one part of it. Coming, I briefly mentioned Kante and to put Gallagher in a two-man midfield with uh, Jorginho was a bad idea. You know, I don't want to be too uh, harsh on Conor Gallagher. I think he did whatever he whatever he was told to do. The problem is that he's not a deep-lying pivot, right? He's not a guy who's going to take the ball from one side, uh, spread the pass long. He likes to run forward. He likes to receive the pass in the final third, right? So, I think uh, it seemed like an obvious error by Tuchel to do that. And don't get me started on Edward Mendy, man. That guy, what a clown he is. I don't know what what he was trying to do there. You know, I was ranting on Twitter also earlier today. Between the times that uh, Mendy does something like this and gives away goals and Jorginho holds on to the ball and gives away goals, I think we drop like 10 points every year. Right? And they don't do it in the same game also. They find a way to do it in alternate games just to, you know, mess with us. So, I think some decision-making needs to improve there. It's just... Uh, it's. You know, all of this I'm saying without touching on some of the existing issues, which is the fact that, you know, we do create chances, but nobody can put them away. Uh, you know, we got a center forward for 100 million, we sent him back. I mean, it's just, uh, yeah. So I do expect now that we will spend a lot of money in the 10 days that remain in the transfer window. But uh, I don't know if that's going to really help us. I mean, I know it depends on who we get, but I don't know if that's going to help us a lot. Yeah, it was just a miserable game to watch. I think we started okay, but it was just this one, right? And uh, to top it all off, a nice cherry on the cake was a uh, nice welcome to the Premier League red card for Koulibaly now. So, you know, whether Tuchel likes it or not, he has to play Aspilicueta next week. Yeah, one of the things I read was uh, in the first 60 minutes itself, uh, you know, there was a 9-kilometer running difference between Leeds and Chelsea. So, probably... Tomorrow morning, Tushil is going to do some 11-kilometer run for each of the players, similar to what Ten Hag did. Those those kind of uh, those kinds of like master strokes are only for the true elite managers. RK, I do. Tukul, normal people like Tukul are not capable of that. But I I'm I'm totally with. Uh, I don't. Literally, the only thing from an attacking sense that has looked good for Chelsea for the last say for a few, not just this season, even last season, Reese James would be right at the top of that list. And to shackle him is just unthinkable. When I saw the team, I thought, you know, the apps all got it wrong and that clearly, obviously, it's not going to be in those positions that they actually end up playing. But yeah, that was a real blunder. I can't imagine why they would do something like that. Didn't he score last week? I think he scored last week, right? Yeah, yeah. He scored last week, yes. It It doesn't make any sense to me. I think from a defensive organization, I always keep Tuchel on a pretty high uh, playing field, but uh, this was pretty poor. Just a question on this uh, right-sided uh, position as well. If if the whole uh, point, you know, of uh, kind of keeping Aspi longer, uh, like one of his positions was to be the RCB and he's done it last season also while not maybe completely effectively. But then what's the point of Aspi Likata if 
he's not there uh, for that particular position yeah i think i really don't know why he didn't start today's game i think he should have see the only thing i can think of that was probably going through tukul's head was that the 11 that started today started last week against spurs with the exception of golo kante and he probably expected that uh, you know don't want to change something that worked last time right but the uh, but you know that ended up being a huge mistake given you know i think leads were very very sharp i think they did their homework they ran, like you said they outran chelsea quite significantly and um, you know they they exploited our weaknesses right when when kante is not there jorginho has such few options in terms of what he can do he is also a limited player i think you know that is well known but i think the leads exploited that they cut off his passing angles uh, they outran us and it was just uh, it it was kind of similar to brentford versus manchester united maybe not as extreme but it was a case of you know the quote and quote smaller team being more well prepared than the larger team and then uh, you know doing that i think that was it was a it's a definite wake up call for chelsea I, i guess i'm just glad it happened before the window closed let's see if that impacts any signings do you think uh, what happened at the end of the game last week had an impact uh, on the on the players or uh, the mind of the coaches going into today's game or was it just a failure on the day you know i would yeah i would you know you want to see something like that and hope that it fires up your players for the next game but you know it doesn't work like that see um my fear is that the entire narrative through the week has been oh if var had spotted the hair pull on kukurella and got the players sent off and chelsea had won 2-1 uh, chelsea would have won 2-1 you know sort of took away from the fact that we considered considered a 95th minute corner to win a, to lose to draw a game which we should have won right so that fragility kind of got uh overlooked i would say because of the fact that the entire narrative was about the red card but you know that's how it was i i still feel like the, we we have um, space for a proper center forward there somewhere yeah see i elite players at this stage of the window when you haven't planned for the transfer you're not going to get right you're not going to get obviously city moved early they got haland liverpool moved early they got darwin you're not going to be able to get an nkunku who also has just renewed uh, you're not going to be able to get these players right now uh, that said you know that doesn't mean that we should you know revert to going for a callum wilson also it's also not a good idea to do something like that so uh, chelsea look at obameyang i i i thought tushil at least thinks that you know he he has a special relationship with him and he can bring something out of it chelsea are working on that barca are playing very hard to get as usual so we don't know what will happen there moving on uh, from the miserable existence of a chelsea fan uh, as duncan alexander says uh, he has this tweet which he keeps retweeting every 3 or 4 weeks that uh, there is always a crisis club the trick in football is to not be that club this week so last week it was manchester united this week it's chelsea let's see who it is uh, next week uh, a potential uh, option for that name could be west ham they are the only team who haven't scored a goal yet uh, that's despite the fact that they've spent so much on skamaka yeah it's uh, surprising how quickly uh, things can change in football right 3 weeks and david moyes who had a great uh, season and suddenly it's three defeats uh, two games against uh, man city and brighton not the easiest of games 
but also one in between with Nottingham Forest, which uh, uh, you know they would have been uh, favourites for. And now, as you said, they are having real problems in attack. They have not integrated uh, Maxwell Cornet and Skamaka into the team. He's just uh, what Moyes is saying that he's just bedding them in. Uh, he started them in the Europa League and they played, uh, you know, uh, and they played pretty well. I think Maxwell assisted uh, Skamaka, if I'm not uh, mistaken. So probably it's a matter of time for them, but definitely uh, this is not a state where you want to be in, uh, you know, three games in. Moving on, Spurs had uh, a tough game against Wolves. They came away with the points, but they had to fight for those points. Not literally unlike last week. And um, they basically played Jorge Mendes's uh, Portuguese contingent plus. Yeah, I think it was a pretty attritional, not the most exciting game, but there was a tactical, you know, matchup which was pretty interesting for me. Uh, in the first half, uh, quite surprisingly, what happened during the game in the first half was that Pedro Neto was playing as a, uh, you know, right wing back. And they were able to cancel out uh, Spurs' shape. And they actually dominated that first half. Uh, we have, I, I think on the group, we have talked about how their midfield three is, I mean, as close to world class as, as some of the midfields uh, get in the Premier League. I thought uh, you know that uh, that Bruno Lag made a mistake in the second half by trying to change things when he was on top, kind of, uh, and that uh, like suddenly Spurs got on top and they started getting more space on the flanks, and Spurs actually had a you know better second half uh, than Wolves. So it was a game of two halves, but there was a tactical matchup underneath that. Uh, their their striker who took them to the highs that they reached is never been the same ever since he came back from the injury. I I think this is one to keep an eye on. Obviously, they have way too many quality players to actually look at this seriously at this point of time. But it's one to uh, going back to last season's form. There is definitely a lot to be worried about. Yeah, Wolves look you know surprisingly stale when they reach the final third. Before that, they are okay, but once they reach the final third, they go flat, pass sideways to sideways. Nothing really comes out of it and. Of course, they don't have that focal point. Uh, uh, you know, with Jimenez nowhere near his peak, they haven't really properly replaced him. It's definitely a concern for Wolves. See, Wolves are looking to solve their final third problem by signing Mishi Batshuayi on loan, is what I heard. Yes! <laughs> is he still at Chelsea? What the hell? What are you, what, what are you guys hoarding? Why are you hoarding so many players? Is, I, I read that Billy Gilmore is also still at Chelsea. I mean, these are all. I mean, come on, it's, are... it's it's not as if we are saying Danny Drinkwater is still at Chelsea. Billy Gilmore being at Chelsea is not that surprising yeah. a thing. Gilmore is still only 21 or 22, so he's okay, right? So Gilmore made his debut when he was 17, but. No, I mean, like, uh, okay, let's, let's do a pop quiz on the left backs. Uh, do you have that, um, that Italian left back still on the books? If you're referring to Emerson, yes, of course, he's still there. So is Alonso, by the way. What about Kennedy? Talking of he, he'll always be there. He 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 basically made the trip to the US uh, oh, camp as well, and people were surprised that people like Conte and Loftus-Cheek didn't go while Kennedy went, even though it turned out to be something related to their vaccination status. Also, who's there? Ross Barkley. Man, I I, I don't oh, even yes. I, I don't even know. We can play this Chelsea still at the club bingo. Circling all the way back to Wolves, uh, I think the new signing Matthias Nunes looked pretty good. I didn't think he would start so soon after joining, but uh, he started and they looked good. Yeah, this one really hit me. I think 
as a Liverpool fan, Nunez was one that we were tracking quite uh, closely. He was linked quite uh, heavily with us earlier in the summer. And the general Liverpool um, uh, reporters um, were saying he was off the market and that's the only reason we've not taken it forward. And then to see a uh, 50 million euro kind of signing happening to Wolves, that really raised my eyebrow. I mean, yeah, talking of Spurs now... Uh... I think a couple of things is that one, you know, the kind of 3-4-3 shape that they are playing. What we have seen over the last couple of games is that teams are finding a way to, you know, outnumber them in midfield. And it's not something that's very important for Spurs to dominate the ball or the territory in itself. But that is something, uh, you know, where uh, some kind, uh, you know, some element of control is going out of Spurs' hands. And that is something they will need to probably readjust in some way. Also, the same thing in defence as well. When Christian Romero is not there, I, uh, you know, th- th- there are some errors. Although they did manage to keep a clean sheet. One more thing was, uh, you know, which again has come out is when teams are, you know, not really employing the high press and not really giving a chance to Spurs, you know, to counter down the flanks. They are, you know, it is possible to kind of hold them in check. You know, while I'm still pretty convinced about Spurs, given that it's an early season, but... It's it's a ha- good news that you know there are plenty of flaws out there which Conte has to work on and probably which gives other teams hopes of being in touch and uh, especially from a top four perspective. Yeah. Okay. Moving on, um, we have uh, some input from our uh, hidden gem, our uh, transfer specialist Praticcio, who's uh, more reliable than Romano Fabrizio and has more up-to-date information from him. Let's listen in. With the summer transfer window in its last leg, it has been an eventful weekend for Anthony and Manchester United. United's last bid of 80 million on Wednesday was rejected by Ajax and in a bid to force the transfer, Anthony did not train on Friday and Saturday and wasn't in the match day squad for Ajax against Sparta Rottentam. Ajax have maintained throughout the summer that Anthony is not for sale, but seems like their stance has softened with United dreading a new bid which might be closer to Ajax's evaluation of 100 million euros. Laurie and Jason Burt have said that Anthony is the number one priority for Manchester United and Gapco is the cheaper alternative. Gapco would cost somewhere around £38.3 million, but it seems like Ten Hag has his eyes set on Anthony. Simon Malak and Marcel van der Kran of Telegraph have said that Glazers have made more money available to strengthen the squad. And according to them, United are in for both Anthony and Gapko. Let's see how this pans out. Moving to London and Chelsea. Chelsea's long pursuit of Fofana might be entering its climax. Fofana wasn't in the Mastery squad for Leicester against Southampton, which they lost 2-1. Chelsea have seen two bids of £50 million and £60 million for Fofana rejected and will have to pay a world record fee of £80 million to sign him. John Percy said that Chelsea are set to make a third offer this week and I expect Chelsea to sign him. An exciting end to the summer transfer window is on the cards. Stay tuned for the ride. Thanks Pratik. So looks like uh, Anthony is finally going to make his way to Old Trafford and suddenly there's lots more money available to Eric Ten Hag once uh, the first two game weeks haven't gone the way 
the Manchester United hierarchy expected to. Interesting times. And uh, with regards to Fofana, I'm sure uh, um, Chelsea fans would enjoy having him on the squad. Let's see how that pans out. Um, that ends part two. In part three, we'll discuss the matches that are going to be uh, played the next weekend. And uh, also take a look at uh, Casemiro and what his arrival means for Manchester United. Welcome back. In part three, we are discussing uh, the upcoming fixtures. Radhaji, we had a discussion about how it's going to be a bloodbath between Lisandro Martinez when he comes up against Darwin Nunes. I guess not going to happen this time round. I think the last time a new rebel, red-wearing new rebel had this much trouble with Mr. Anderson was in the Matrix. What's happening now? We've heard quite a lot of uh, feedback about he's a Uruguayan striker, so he's bound to be hot-headed and stuff like that. And gamesmanship by Anderson, both sides of the story. It's, it's an important miss, I would say, for uh, Liverpool for tonight's game, uh, considering Firmino wasn't expected to be starting. Yota is also not completely there. It's absolutely, absolutely the, the most terrible time that this could happen. Um, yeah, there's just something about this uh, scrappy, talented Uruguayan guy doing something crazy. It just sends a chill down your neck. Uh, it's a little uncomfortable. We've been here before. Uh, but yeah, that said, I'm sure, I mean, he's a young guy. He'll he'll learn from it. And uh, from what I've heard and read, uh, he doesn't have this in his past, in his, in his history at least. Uh, he's had a pretty impeccable record in his past clubs. So I'm not worried about it too much. Uh, he will learn, I'm sure about that. Um, on the pitch, I think it's going to hurt us a lot because after just two games he's he raked up so many quality chances he didn't play two whole games he played one and a half games if you actually look at it he's played only some 95 minutes so it's something that we are going to miss uh, he had the highest xg after two game weeks after playing just 97 minutes and i think Firmino doesn't really rake up the XGs. So, it's going to be something that uh, will be difficult for us to cope for three games. But yeah, for the for the long term, I'm not too concerned. United guys would be pretty happy, I guess. RK is probably finally looking forward to a United game this season. Yeah, uh, that's the thing I didn't uh, you know get about what Radha said. The most inopportune time to have this. I mean, what can be more opportune to have your striker missing than facing United next game? Yeah, I mean, if you had him, given the two games that we've just seen, I think we need a... We need a win. It's not. We're both in a not a very good situation. I'd say uh, that way. I would say it's, I'm a little just. I'm a little scared about what's happening because there's some heebie-jeebies definitely in the Liverpool side of things. Everybody seems to have a PTSD from two years ago with the availability situation. Klopp played Nat Phillips last week, and we were all. I I thought I had misread the tweet uh, when Nat Phillips was starting and Joe Gomez was on the bench. I think everybody's just losing their shit a little, getting a little too careful, worried about they might lose everybody in the core team. So yeah. I'm, I'm actually a bit worried about the game, RK. I know, I know you're trying to take some pressure off there, but yeah, I'm a little bit worried about the game. This is the ideal game for for Mourinho to hit his form. What else do you need to look forward to? Our defense of McTominay uh, and Fred being shielded by Maguire and Bello and Luke Shaw. Wait, wait, like, I, I I should have triple captain Firmino in my fantasy team. <laughs> Just just a word on Lisandro though. I mean, you know, there's this whole talk of him not being able to cope in the air. But and I even I had that same impression of him from the last game. But uh, it looks like he actually won a lot of duels uh, in open play uh, while being responsible for the third goal. So hopefully there's some uh, you know background behind Lisandro being good. 
the data says he played well that's what the manager said let, let, let's see what what happens yeah dsk the manager said a lot of interesting things looking forward to that as well so that interview is going to be i think uh, yeah i mean if the promos anything to go by that should be fun uh, just one thing before we move on uh, we had a chat on episode 1 or 2 it was about walkie anderson what a great player what a great center back amazing passer yeah after that over action that he did with darwin i mean totally deserved red card but with that over action now I, he's dead to me he's a budget daniel lager it's over between us in, in the last two weeks we've basically heard that mitrovic deserved the man of the match but is a diver and anderson is a budget daniel lager but he deserves whatever he gets cool good to know that uh, the liverpool fans are taking it well if liverpool wins uh, the game tomorrow you'll be just a point behind chelsea or rather a point above us actually looking forward to the games uh, that are going to happen over the coming weekend uh, there don't seem to be many standout fixtures but uh, considering what's gone on today chelsea leicester seems to have become significantly more important also known as the fofana derby uh, wonder who he ends up playing for i mean considering uh, what's gone on today and plus with koulibaly's red card it might just be that we pay lester what they want so that he plays uh, in a different shade of blue next weekend ab i know you've talked a lot about what went on t- in today's game any hopes for uh, next weekend i mean you quite literally face palming so i'm <laughs> i'm not holding out much hope here yeah it's um, yeah i'm not feeling high on confidence right now i i mean i think lester at home we should still win but i hope that tuchel learns some of the lessons of today's game uh in terms of personnel and formation aston villa west ham also seems pretty interesting because of uh, the struggle that both the managers have started off the season with that should be a uh you know storyline with some narratives yeah as as we discussed uh, earlier west ham the only team who hasn't scored a goal yet another game that uh, i'm going to be looking forward to is uh, forest versus uh, tottenham maybe a chance for spurs to start jed spence he's not started a game yet it might be just a good opportunity to give him a run out against his previous team so that might be an interesting thing to look forward to do you see spence starting because somewhere i read that he was not the manager's choice although definitely it looks like they need a different right back because they have no creativity down the center emerson was definitely lacking in the last game Yeah it was interesting uh, when Spence was signed as well Conte mentioned that he was a club choice I mean it, curious choice of words to say when you're unveiling a guy who you've spent I don't even remember 20 25 30 million on it it doesn't seem like he features prominently in his plans but of course Conte needs as many wing backs as possible and there is Doherty who played seven or eight games only under Conte last season and he was absolutely flying before he got injured. I see a change. Let's see who who comes in. But you know having said that and discussed all the next weekend's fixtures, I am sure we are going to spend ample amount of more than enough amount of time on the Monday night fixture thrashing of United by Liverpool. You're not giving up. You you're continuing to hold the jinx curse above Liverpool's head. Cool. Let's see what happens. All right, uh, moving on. Uh, we talked about some of the games next week. Uh do we see any chance that casemiro might be playing in in that game for united there is, there are no complications in the transfer and united would be desperate for a point by then uh, three game weeks and uh, probably drawing a blank in all three so expect casemiro to feature in although it will be quite interesting to see what formation the manager is going to bring in uh is he going to be the deepest or is he going to play alongside fred there's analysis in the atletico there is a very functional fred casemiro combination for brazil 
where the gap between them is so huge that you expect some six of Hassan Utel's players to run past. And then what do you do with uh, Bruno ahead of them, who all he does, uh, according to Wayne Rooney, all he does is flap his hands and scold his own teammates. If you've uh, played FIFA, I mean, when you have your ultimate team in there, you basically have those links between players if they actually play in the real real world in the same club or for the same country. I think the way the United's transfer window is going, there's going to be two sets. There's going to be a Varane linked to Casemiro, linked to Fred and Casemiro also linked to Ronaldo up front. And then there's going to be the Ajax boys. So two sets of green links and I don't know if the, the key thing would be, is there a connection between these two sets of links or not? Considering uh, and, is there, uh, and considering the manager wants to play out from the back, there is a keeper who can't link anything. So it will also be quite weird on how all of that also plays out. Yeah, so yeah. I think uh, these United boys are going just going all in with the reverse psychology. So let me let me give it a go. Um, Casemiro, what a signing! Uh, I think one of, the, one of the greatest signings we'll ever see in the Premier League. All the problems we've been talking about this problem for three, four years now. Um, six years. Don't six don't years. forget what Ashwin said last week. Six right. years we've been crying out for a central defensive midfielder, and now he's here. And honestly speaking, like jokes aside, the true elite central defensive midfielder, I think, on the market. I didn't know he was on the market. But uh, real coup, coup signing. Yeah, of course, there are risks. He's a little older than uh, what they would have liked to get. But uh, a real top-class player. He'll definitely improve them. And yeah, all those links. I like the, I like the way you're thinking, Swag. Uh, Ronaldo and Varane and all those links. Yeah, looking forward to that. Yeah, I think Varane also posted something uh, uh, on social media uh, saying that a uh, lot of battles to fight and up the rumor mill says uh, Ronaldo has agreed to stay because he has, he has uh, heard about the Casemiro story. Definitely looking forward to a defensive midfielder because previously we had somebody who could not defend or pass or do anything. And if you have seen the two matches, what's what's been happening is there are a lot of balls played into Martinez. We don't uh, win the first ball and there is nobody to contest for the second ball. So that is definitely what, as United fan, I hope uh, Casemiro will solve. The other part is truly elite, but he's hit 30 and United's success rate with players over that age have been hit and miss. Zlatan was a success, Cavani was a success, but then Alexis was a bit of a failure. So was Schweinsteiger and uh, Falcao. So let's see how how this one plays out. So, uh, you know, going back to our previous discussions in our preview and talking about how the number six should look like at United, I think what we were talking about was for a lot of us, Frankie de Jong himself wasn't the ideal number six, especially when you put it in a PL environment. We were all, you know, even in Eric Tanak's previous teams, he always had a, a, you know, very strong destroyer alongside either Frankie de Jong or, uh, you know, Gravenberg. So, I think uh, going by that, uh, I was a bit surprised that Eric Ten Hag was trying to have a, you know, ball playing, solely ball playing number six uh, coming into the Premier League with United, uh, going against the grain, so to speak. Looking at that, I think Casemiro is, uh, you know, uh, like fits the profile of player, which will suit Ten Hag as well as this league perfectly. Yeah, the other concerns, I think DSK uh, and Radha, they have already laid out. But it's a good signing. The only concern here is that we don't really have a ball progressor next to him. That is something it's very clear that he needs. So, that is, uh, uh, you know, that is going to be the next big gap when Casemiro starts playing, that he will solve one set of problems, but the rest of it will still, you know, look, I think, pretty 
uh, bad as you know especially if Ericsson is not playing and Ericsson in the pivot brings his own set of problems so however it's it's it is not planned Casemiro transfer and that's another aspect of it not a planned transfer at all you know very reactive to other situations going on and I don't think I can complete anything about Casemiro without you know referring to Adrian Rabio. thank god that guy didn't sign for us and thanks uh, to Veronique auntie for whatever she did so that, that's a big relief. <laughs> I mean, uh, I, I was going to make a point about something else, but Veronique Auntie has completely thrown me. Anyway, I think uh, the only thing about the Casemiro transfer that I am slightly concerned about, from what I've been hearing, his wages are going to be significant as well. So I don't know where he sits in the in the larger scheme of things. It's been quoted that... His salary is going to be double what he gets in Real, but there are people who have mentioned that that won't be the case. But 50 plus 10 uh, million quoted for somebody uh, who's 30 and a five-year contract is, yeah, it's pretty much on the higher side. I think United need that. United need a few winners to come in from inside and kick some sense into some of the younger players. If you've seen some of the big matches in the last two years, uh, United team has just wilted. So uh, this is definitely required. and. Not not just Casemiro, maybe a couple of other players also. Yeah, I think uh, you know by all accounts he's shown himself to be a quite a top professional. So hopefully that carries on at United. The only thing we have seen and we referred to it before is when some of these guys come in after winning so much. Probably that happened with Wijnaldum at PSG also. I don't know. Probably there is some release or you know something happening which like probably they are not able to replicate their same hunger. Retirement home sort of thing, basically. But he's 30. He's he's not, I mean, he's not 34. He's not 35. He's like, you could consider him still to be in the prime of his career. Yeah, I'm not too concerned, Swag, about the wage. Uh, I think what I've read is around 350, 360. And that's like, uh, honestly speaking, at, Peanuts I think at for United. United. Yeah, at United, it's not uh, a game-changing wage, right? Like, they have players on a similar kind of wage already. I think Dige is at 390, Sancho is somewhere in the 300 range. So, I think they're, they're, I'm not too concerned. And he, if anybody can can garner a salary like that, it would be somebody like Casemiro, right? So, I'm not too worried. Um, yeah, I on the pitch, I'm also waiting to see how things pan out after the some of the poor examples that uh, DSK and RK quoted in the past. But I'm not too worried about that either. Last season is a barometer. He was outstanding, I think, whenever I saw him play last season. So, I'm not too worried about that either. Okay, uh, so he looks to be an interesting um, signing and uh, someone who we'll be looking at uh, once he starts to play. Uh, to finish off with, I have a question for you guys. Uh, someone who's not from your team, but who you enjoy watching quite a lot. And it can be any position, obviously. So, I'll I'll take the low-hanging fruit and say Kevin De Bruyne, apart from the fact that there's that emotional stress that we have every time we see him playing against Chelsea. He's a, he's a magician. He knows exactly where each ball needs to go, uh, what needs to happen. Even today in the game, the goal that he assisted, he was absolutely clear what he needed to do. That's my pick. Yeah, so for me, I think uh, the name that keeps coming to my mind is Son Young-Ming. He's, he's, the, he's somebody I always, whenever I see him play, I'm just super excited and um, I wish we had him in our team as well. He does everything. He does the hard work. He's incredible at beating the line. Um, yeah, he's definitely a player I've always admired. But though I have to say, and uh, listeners of the pod will agree with me, Gabriel Jesus is coming close to getting in that conversation for me as well. Yeah, uh, you guys 
took the easy ones. Uh, uh, I'll go a bit left field uh, and considering United problems, uh, I would take it as a combination. I like the Wolves midfield combination of Coutinho, Ruben Neves, how how they play really well. So, uh, and me and RK keep chatting every once in a while of why why United do not go after Ruben Neves. So, and even this week's game, he, he was he was brilliant. They have their limitations, but very interesting to watch how they dictate play and uh, help the team punch above the, uh, the levels. You know, my uh, answer is being heavily driven by today's terrible result. So, I'm going to say, I know the question was phrased just like to watch, but I want to say I would like to have a Chelsea would be uh, Haaland because uh, we need somebody to put the ball in the back of the net. And uh, this one, I'm going to cheat a little bit. I'm going to say Christian Eriksen from five years ago. Uh, I used to be a huge admirer of his when he was at Spurs. And, uh, you know, I think a player like that to find the forward passes is exactly what we need. And yeah, I'll also go for two players. Like one, you know, going for what we need. So one is Ruben Neves. Again, some some either on this weekend's matches, great uh, passer of the football. And the second one uh, is Mo Salah, like electrifying uh, player. This is this is turned from uh, looking at uh, dream players to turn into a shopping list for uh, our okay. clubs and <laughs> who, who we want by end of next week. Just one, uh, just just one quick one, swag before we before we end. Uh, I know you said you have to look at other teams' players. If only Chelsea had an opportunity to sign somebody like Kevin De Bruyne, that would have been great. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. It might have been a nice team with Kevin De Bruyne, mm. the early or Mo Salah early also. Lukaku, Mo Salah, um, yeah, Juan Mata. As everyone knows, I mean, I love Mata. I mean, I think I just think he's a great, great person. That concludes today's episode. Uh, when we meet next time, Arsenal would have continued their march to be the champions. Chelsea would have been beaten by Leicester by three headed goals from Fofana. Manchester United and Liverpool would have played out a 6-6 draw with uh, five goals in stoppage time, hopefully. And uh, thank you to the panellists and um, thank you very much for listening. See you again next week. Good night. Good night.